I'm alive. Amen. Are you alive today? Yeah. Good to see you at Warehouse Church this morning. Welcome. Uh, if you're new to our church this morning, we want to thank you for being here. Uh, Warehouse Church is about a little over a year and a half old. We're going to be celebrating our second anniversary on July the 1st. And the Lord has done some great, great things. We've only been in this building since December. And uh, it's so neat to see it filled up this morning and got to meet some new guests this morning. Let's welcome all of our guests this morning, church. Make them feel welcome today. We hope today that you came as guests and you leave as family. Uh, you saw the, the video that was put together to introduce the series called Beautiful Scars. Uh, pastor Gary, our student pastor, uh, who we uh, like to lovingly refer to as Ginger Jesus. Gary, stand up so they know who you are. This is Ginger Jesus with you. Yes. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. But uh, Gary's going to be doing one of the messages in the series. And, and because of the graphic on this, Gary said, Pastor, I've got this great idea. Now, when a youth pastor says he has a great idea, just get ready. Because it's going to probably shake you up a little bit. He said, what would you think if during the message that I had somebody give me a tattoo right in the middle of the message? Like a whole sleeve. I said, Gary, if you get a whole sleeve, it's going to be a six-hour message. No, you can't do that. He said, it takes that long? I said, yeah. And I said, plus, what if it hurts and you hate it? Then you're really committed to it. He said, all right, let me get another tattoo first. And he said, no, i got to ask my wife, and she's going to say no. So he really backed out of the idea really, really fast. But uh, we're starting this series today called Beautiful Scars. Um, all of you have a scar somewhere, right? Um, my, I have a two-year-old granddaughter uh, her name is Logan, and um, I'll probably only talk about her three or four times during the message today. But she, um, she's kind of in that boo-boo aware time, you know what I'm saying? Like she likes to get boo-boos now just so she can show Pop so Pop can kiss her boo-boos. Yeah. And she'll say, Pop, do you have any boo-boos? I said, yeah, I've got, I, I, I stubbed my toe yesterday, and it's kind of bleeding a little bit. And Well, let me kiss it. No, don't let her kiss your toes, you know, my daughters will say. But she's very aware of her boo-boos right now. Well, all of us have, have had some kind of physical boo-boo take place in our life uh, where we carry the scars for that. But we also carry scars from emotional hurts, uh, from spiritual hurts that we've gone through, uh, from self-inflicted pain that we've, that we've caused in our own lives, and even also from the pain that we suffer because of the way that other people hurt us. So we're going to be talking about some of those things uh, this month, uh, next five or six weeks uh, as we go through this series. But I want to introduce you uh, my text this morning. It's going to be out of the book of John, chapter 20. Um, this is a great, great passage about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's Easter Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, uh, but it's a special Sunday today, of course, as we remember uh, the risen Savior uh, who died and three days later rose again from the grave so that all of us could have a relationship with him. So I'm going to read this passage for you to John chapter 20. It'll be up on the screen too if you want to follow along with me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. Now, when it says the other disciple outran Peter, that's the guy who wrote this. So he's kind of talking a little bit of trash right here, that he was a faster runner than Peter, but he tried to be humble by not mentioning his name, okay? 
So uh, he started for the tomb. Both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. He looked in uh, at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples uh, went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the the tomb crying, and as she wept, uh, she bent over to look inside the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell tell me where you put him so that I'll go get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brother, to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples uh, with the news. I've seen the Lord, as she told them, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anybody's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And again, he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here in my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not sinned and yet have believed. Who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray for us for a moment, if you will bow your heads with me. Uh, This morning, Father, thank you that we could read your word. Bless the reading of your word. Uh, Thank you for every family that's represented this room this morning. Uh, We pray for your uh, most bountiful, amazing blessings in everybody's lives. Not just because they're here today, Lord, but I pray that they would see you in your goodness today. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Uh, Thank you that we can be with our family today. God, you're so good to us. Uh, Help us to understand how good you are even through this account and remembrance of your resurrection. Bless this time today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say it with me. 
Amen. Well, as we're going to talk about the beautiful scars, if you read through this passage in John chapter 20, you see a real demonstration of love from Jesus uh, to different groups of people. The Bible talks us about how Jesus demonstrated his love for us. In Romans chapter 5, it says, but God demonstrated his love for us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm going to talk to you today about different layers of people that Jesus cared for, specifically in the story in John chapter 20, and then how we can kind of extract some things from that and apply them to our own lives. So the first thing I want to kind of submit to you this morning is this, is that Jesus cared for the brokenhearted. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it was, Jesus was actually saying a verse that was written all the way back in the book of Isaiah. And he says this in Luke 4, 18 about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. If you read in that passage, there's a couple times where you read, especially uh, in the heart of Mary Magdalene in verse 11, uh, she was standing over the grave and the Bible says she wept because she was looking for Jesus and he wasn't there. Uh, just to kind of understand what was happening, Jesus had died. Uh, many of his followers saw him either up close, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, John, you know, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved the most, uh, all saw Jesus on the cross. They saw him take his body down. They saw his body be prepared for burial and they saw him bury his body. They knew Jesus was dead. Uh, all of us, I'm sure, at some time in our lives have said goodbye to somebody, maybe in the right time or maybe before their time was really supposed to be here. And, and that's a hard thing, you know, when you have to say goodbye to someone uh, and, 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 and uh, have a funeral service. And boy, I'll tell you when, you, when, you, when you're sitting in a funeral service with people you love and, and the person uh, that's before you is somebody you care a lot about, uh, you're really reminded of your own mortality too. Man, this is going to happen to me someday. And Man, am I ready for that? It really kind of makes you go through those bigger-than-life questions. Uh, but these guys were brokenhearted. Um, there's a great song. Uh, I'm not a big Rascal Flats fan. My wife is a Rascal Flats fan. But there's a song, and I got the words wrong yesterday when I was asking her about it. But the, the, there's a song that says, God bless the broken road that... Gary sang it. Thank you, Gary. That was good. I thought it was God bless the broken heart that led me back to you. And Kim said, if God bless the broken heart that led me back to you, that means some girl broke your heart, and I'm seconds, not first. That's not how the song goes. So I kind of had to work through it a little bit and got the song right, and God bless Rascal Flats this morning. But, um, you know, all of us go through times when we're broken hearted. And I think there's different levels of being broken hearted. Uh, I don't want to take anything away. We love our teenagers. So thankful you guys are in church today. Uh, it's tough when you're in junior high school or high school and some guy or gal breaks your heart. Yeah, amen. That's hard. Or, or for some of you guys or gals, if you've gone through this multiple times, right, that have broken your heart. That's a tough thing. And, and you kind of feel like the world ended that day. It's never going to be the same again. How am I going to go back to school the next day? How are people going to look at me knowing that someone broke my heart. Uh, my wife and I have been married, it'll be 34 years this May, and we actually met in high school. And I started dating her when I was in 11th grade. But I was, but before I started dating her, we were friends. And while we were friends, she dated my brother and my best friend before she settled on me, okay? 
And it was kind of funny because I love talking trash to my brother and my buddy after I started dating Kim. And because uh, we had been going out for a few months and Kim had only gone out with them for like one or two days or whatever. And um, they would say to me, how are things going with Kim? I said, well, apparently much longer than you guys could sustain her. So things are going pretty good, you know. But I remember, man, broken heart, that, that's, that's real stuff. But then, you know, as you get older, it just seems like the brokenhearted experience become even more intense. You know, because life is real. Life is hard. Um, I remember when I was 12 years old, my grandfather died. And that was the first time I had been around death and really experienced it and started to understand that. And uh, through the years, because uh, we do what we do, we've been a part of a lot of families' funerals. And, you know, when you, it, it, there's one thing to do a funeral for an 85 or a 90-year-old person because it kind of seems like th- that's a good run, right? No disrespect. If you're 85, I hope you live to 120. I promise you, I, I mean that for you this morning. But it feels like that's right. But if you've ever had to say goodbye to a child or a teenager or someone before their time, feels like it's naturally taken place. It's a brokenhearted experience. And I love how Jesus went right uh, to Mary and said to her while she was crying, he said, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she said to Jesus, because she was so overcome with grief, sir, she thought he was a gardener. If you you carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'm not even going to be mad. Just tell me where you put him, and I'm going to go get him. And then in that voice that she recognized, right, Mary, Mary. And she looked, and she saw that it was Jesus. And Jesus healed at that moment her broken heart. When he, appealed to, when he appeared to uh, Simon Peter and to John, uh, the same thing happened. When he appeared to all the disciples except later to Thomas, but when he appeared to the disciples, uh, he, he appeared to them and, and he cared for them. And he wanted them to know, listen, as the Father has sent me to you, now I'm sending you to others. I want to heal your broken heart, but you're going to take this message of, of healing broken hearts and you're going to take it to people that also need that. Because as much as, as we have all dealt with pain in our lives, there's something very special when you've gone through a painful experience in your life and someone else is going through that painful experience and you come to comfort that person knowing what they've gone through. There's something very, very almost healing about that, knowing that somebody not only cares, but they've walked through some of the valleys that you've walked through in your life. And Jesus said, you know what it's like. He, he, he was speaking in it. You know what it's like to feel broken. Now go find other brokenhearted people. God sent me to you. Now I'm going to send you to others. Jesus cared for the brokenhearted. Secondly, Jesus cared for the fearful. Three different times, I love this, uh, in, in John chapter 20, he says, peace be with you. That sounds really Bible-ish, doesn't it? Have you ever kind of been, you know, at a real anxious time in your life and somebody comes up to you and says, peace be with you? You'd say, what, what does that mean? What are you kind of like super duper spiritual Joe or something, right? But and really in layman's terms, Jesus, Jesus was telling them, guys, just relax, I'm here. It's all good. I don't know how he would say it back in Bible days times, but he was letting them know it's all good, I'm here. And there was something that was very significant about the presence of of Jesus in the lives of his disciples because they were fearful. And you know what? Very They they weren't being sinful because they were afraid. Uh, They were very fearful, and it was understandable. Uh, The guy that they had devoted the last three and a half years of their life to 
was, was just murdered in their eyes. They didn't fully comprehend that he was going to be resurrected from the dead. They didn't fully comprehend everything that Jesus said. It just didn't quite connect. All, all the information didn't quite connect dots yet because they hadn't seen him yet. But Jesus said to them and said it to Mary Magdalene and to the disciples three different times, peace be with you. They feared what was next. You know what they feared? It says there in this passage, they were hiding in a room for fear of, of, of what the Jewish leaders were going to do to them. They thought they were next. When Peter was told by Jesus, he was going to deny Jesus three different times. And he did deny Jesus three different times. I don't believe that Jesus was denied by Peter because Peter was mad at Jesus or Peter was running away from Jesus. I think he denied Jesus because he was afraid. I mean, he was following him. He was trying to figure out what was going to happen to him, that they were illegally trying him, and he was there, and, and they were beating him, and he was there, and, and, and he's watching, trying to figure out his strategy. What are we going to do? I mean, Peter was a strong guy, and, and he was pretty aggressive. Uh, he wasn't passive. He, he was trying to come up, how am I going to get in there and save him? What am I going to do? I'm the dude that just cut off the ear uh, of the one high priest that came and arrested him. So we got to come up with a plan. What are we going to do? Hey, you're one of Jesus. No, I'm not. Just leave me alone. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? One second time. Hey, you're one of his followers. Stop it. Leave me alone. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm not one of his followers. And the third time, if you read in one of the gospel accounts, it even implies that he cursed. You blinkety blankety riffraffin. Stop it. And at that moment, he heard the rooster, and he remembered the words of Jesus. I understand why Jesus came and gave these guys peace because they were afraid. They feared what they couldn't control. They wondered if everything they learned about was even... I mean, you have to understand the foundation of their belief system was just kind of... It was, it was cracked. And they didn't comprehend it yet. And I love that Jesus cares for the fearful because you know what? I, I, I have times in my life that I'm very fearful. I uh, went through a health thing a couple years ago, didn't know what was going to happen. It was a fearful time. Uh, I, I, met one of, I, I met a sweet family that had five kids uh, in, in, in church today, and they came in and were saying hi, and they had their little parade of kids coming in with them, beautiful family. And um, I said, yeah, I, have, I, I don't know why I always tell people this. Yeah, we have four daughters. And then I had to overshare. And we, had, we did three weddings in 15 months. I don't know why I want people to feel sorry for me because it's a cool thing. But a lot of times, man, three weddings, you must be broke. I said, yeah, I'm busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. You know what I mean? That, and I, it's like I'm trying to get sympathy for that. And really, it's just a wonderful thing. We have just a great family. I'm really blessed. But I want to tell you something. Raising girls, fearful. Right? Very, very Fearful. And now that we have, now we have three grandkids, we have two granddaughters and one grandson. Uh, all the and, and you, you know you're old when, right? You could finish this statement with me for some of you. Know you're old when you start talking like your parents. You know you're old when, when you tell your kids how crazy the world is and you can't believe they have to raise kids in this society today. My dad used to say that. Oh, son, when you have kids, man, it's going to be crazy. You are going to have to deal with things we couldn't even imagine. I'm saying the same thing, and I'm going to tell you something. My dad's only 20 years older than me. He's 72, 73 years old. That's not old anymore. Somebody say amen to that, okay? 72 is not old anymore, especially when you're 52. You know what I'm saying? 
But I'm fearful. I'm fearful of what my kids will be exposed to. I'm fearful how other people would hurt them. I'm fearful for the mistakes that are before them that are imminent. They're going to happen, right? I'm afraid of those things. But Jesus came to heal the, fa- the fearful. Jesus also, and this is, I, I tell you, uh, when you, when you look at the, the, these three groups of people that Jesus cared for, he cared for an individual, then he paired, cared for the big group, and then it goes back down to an individual again. He cared for people that were seeking. He cared for people that were seeking and unsure, like Mary Magdalene and Peter and John were aggressively seeking Jesus, right? They went to the tomb. They're trying to figure stuff out. They either went to dress the tomb or pray or just try to understand what was going on. But, but then the disciples, they're up in the room and they're afraid a little bit. Oh, they're fearful. Jesus says, peace be with you. But then there's this third guy that's mentioned, this third consequence that happens in the story where Thomas is told, and he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the room where everybody else was afraid. Hey, we saw Jesus, and he said this, and he said, we're going to do this, and he was here. We saw him. And then Thomas, right, he's mad. He's afraid. Maybe his feelings were even hurt, you know. I gave three and a half years to this dude, and he's gone. What in the world? What a waste of time. You know, we don't know all the emotions that Thomas was going through, but we do know that he said this. I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in the holes in his hand, and then it says, thrust my hand up into his side. Until I see it and experience, I'm not going to believe. And what's the first thing Jesus says to Thomas when he sees him? Hey, buddy. Remember me? This guy, right? Peace be with you. Jesus cares for the doubters. I don't know, and I don't presuppose uh, anybody's, uh, what their personal relationship is like with the Lord. That's between you and God. And it's very personal, you know, how you feel about God. Uh, The fact that God is, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, that God is, he exists, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Uh, There is a blessing in your life. If you're not sure about God, if you're not sure about this Jesus stuff, if you're not sure about the Bible, and, and, you know, because, you know, I I know that science says this, and that feels like it could be right, and I know the Bible says this, and you have two groups of people that are really and more than two, honestly, when you look at all the religions of the world, but you have all these different groups of people that lay their lives down for what they believe. Who is right? So then there's this universal belief that, you know what? All religions kind of go in the same way. If you believe in something good, we're all going to wind up in heaven together, and you have that argument, right? But, but here's the truth uh, uh, about this. There, there, there is a place where we can find true truth that doesn't change, and that's the Word of God. And it's not about me being right and other people being wrong. Boy, people love to fight on Facebook, don't they? They like to kind of pull all their arguments out. Man, when, when the, I, I can't wait to the 2020 election. And all of Facebook has all that positive stuff about all the candidates and how great this, and make us just feel really, really good about voting again. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go out of town in 2020 in November and do an absentee ballot and have somebody email me the results. I just don't even want to be here for it. And I'm for it. I'm, I, I vote. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a patriotic American. But you know what? I think, I, I think Christians can be just as or even more guilty than people that would be considered on the other side of wherever you are. Because we sure can be hateful for what we stand for. 
And a lot of the times we're not, porting, we're not pointing or directing people to the truth, which is the word of God. We want people to agree with us. Well, I think this about that. Well, I think this about that. For some of you that don't know me, I'm going to tell you something about me that you're going to really, really like or really, really hate. And some of you that know me know what I'm going to talk about right now because it has to happen on Easter Sunday, Daniel. I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I know. It's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible that God would let me live in Dallas, Texas. But I'm from Philadelphia, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground is where I spent most of my days. You know, I mean, that's where I'm from. And, I, and, and then it's in me deep because of my dad and growing up. And I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were, uh, you know what I did yesterday? Oh, this is great. Yesterday, I wanted to buy a new pair of sneakers. And I was in Frisco. So I said, I'm going to go to the Nike store, and it said, at the star. I didn't even know what that meant, so I put it on my directions. Not, so I walked into the belly of the beast yesterday where the Cowboys do all the practices and offices at. And I'm wearing a Philadelphia 76ers gear from head to toe because of the ball game yesterday, like a big doofus. And I walked in the store, and the guy goes, what are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here? I'm looking for a pair of sneakers, you know, size 14, like eagle green. He says, we don't have those here. And he was mad at me. I got back in the car and said, why is he mad at me? And I realized... I'm, I'm in an, for me, I'm in enemy territory right now. For me, right? And, but we feel, we get so strong, right, about, about, the, about what we feel. And, and, and sports is like that too. All the haters will come out and say, oh, you know, your team and your team is lost and you guys are awful and, and, and you guys haven't won a ring since then or you guys haven't done this. And, and we, get, we just want people to know that we are right, right? And it's not about us being right. It's about all of us having the opportunity to be right with God. Because God loved us. And, and, and he understands, listen, he addresses throughout Scripture this understanding that we're going to doubt. Uh, he says it at the end of this chapter here about Thomas in verse number 29. He says, Jesus said, because Thomas declared in verse number 28, he said, my Lord and my God. That's a good thing to say when Jesus is standing right there. Hey, that's good, buddy. Way to go. Here's what Jesus replied about that. He says, because you, this is Jesus speaking to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, right? And then he says this, and this is really about you and me, because we haven't seen Jesus yet. We've seen a redheaded likeness of Jesus this morning, <laughs> but we haven't seen literally Jesus yet, right? So here's, here's what the Bible says uh, next that Jesus says to him. And this is about us. Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. I get that. Blessed are those who have not sinned, yet still believe. That's, we, you know, that's our blessing if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we haven't seen him, and God says you're blessed if you haven't seen me, yet you still believe. But I love this passage in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, I was raised in church by my mom. My dad didn't go to church. My dad didn't want anything to do to church. He accepted Christ as his Savior when he was about 50 years old. And I remember growing up in church uh, feeling like, like I had this experience, right? I, I, I said that prayer. I, I said the words of that prayer one time. But, you know, when, when you're a teenager, sometimes churches are really, really good about making you feel bad about all the stuff that you do bad all the time. I don't think it's intentional because the truth is God's really not mad at anybody today in this room. He's mad about you. He loves you. He's longing to forgive you, but he's not up in heaven going, oh, Lindsey Barnhill, 
wrath of God. You know, that's not what God's doing right now. And, and when we're messing up and kind of, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we're straying from where we're supposed to be, God will send, you know, he'll send stuff into our life to kind of get us back on track, but not so he's going, yeah, I get to punish somebody else today. And he's saying, oh my gosh, you're making a bad mistake. Let me get you back on track because why? Because I want to bless you. That's why God sends these little messages or, or consequences in our life to be reminded of who he is because he loves us, he cares for us, and he doesn't want to be a big cosmic killjoy. I had a buddy I, I invited to church a couple years ago. His name was Pat. I said, Pat, man, you got to come to church. My first time I'm getting to speak. Man, I'd be honored if you were there. He says, I don't want to go to your church. I said, Pat, but man, I would love for you to come. I'd be so honored if you would come. Man, just come up and sit with me. No, I don't, want, I don't want to be reminded of all the bad stuff I do. I smoke. I drink. I do this. I do this. I do this. And I do this. God doesn't want me. I said, you are a prime candidate for what God wants. Then I said this, just like me. So I'm no better than you are. No better than you are. But Jesus, throughout Scripture, addresses this idea of doubting. And I love that so much. Because you know what I did as a teenager? I, I, I prayed, confessed Christ. But man, when I was 15, I kind of went off the rails on the crazy train a little bit. I thought my dad was going to kill me seven or eight different times. You know? And then, you know, 19 years, Kim and I got married when we were 18. I love my wife very much. I'm so glad that we got married when we were 18 years old. But it, was, it was, wasn't just about us being married. It was about getting out of the house, right? So we could do everything we wanted to do. No rules, no parents. Enjoy all the bills, sucker. That's what my dad said to me, right? <laughs> then I doubted. And then God did something crazy in my life. He gave me kids. Me, I couldn't believe it. And, and, and God wasn't punishing me. He was laughing. I'm going to give you kids, and I'm going to give you all girls. <laughs> That's God's non-evil laugh, right? But, but listen to what it says here in 1 John. Be, because you know when God get, started giving me girls, I had a guy say to me one time, and I told the church this one time, and you're going to be just like me when you're my age. Divorced, kids don't live in a single apartment. This, 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 because you are a knucklehead. You're making terrible decisions with your life. And I went home that night mad at Chuck. His name was Chuck. And I just, you know what I started to do? I wonder if I'm really saved. I mean, I've, I've been messing up so much. It is, is it even real for me? Then my friend Anthony sat down with me and he read this verse out of 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony. And that word testimony means it's truth. It's written. It doesn't change. It's from God. He wants you to know something very, very significant. He said, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And that life is in his son. Now, this, this is what it says. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Right? So that's pretty clear. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus or believe in him, you don't have eternal life. Well, but I believe, th that's okay. I'm not, listen, I'm not throwing any haterade on anything anybody believes. I just want you to hear what the Bible says about Jesus and truth. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what kind of crazy life's represented, some people look at me and go, oh, I can't believe you lived that bad. And some people are looking at me going, oh, that's nothing. You ought to hear what I've done. I get that. All of us have gone through all that stuff. But listen to this next verse, right? Not only does it say, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not the Son does not have life. Listen to what it says in 13. 
I'm writing these things to you. Now, this is the beloved disciple that at round Peter, right? This is the same guy. He said, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You ready for this? So that you may know. So that you may know that you have eternal life. God knows. And, and listen, don't feel bad. You don't have to confess to God if you're having doubts in your life. Because I think a lot of the times we have doubts have less to do with who God is and more to do with who we are and who we aren't. Because can I tell you how I feel a lot of times in my life? I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I don't measure up. I have three siblings, two brothers, one sister. I was always, I was a big roly-poly human. I was, I, my head was so big when I was born, I walked like this for like my first three years. <laughs> Is he drunk? No, his head's really, really big. My mom used to say this to people all the time, almost apologizing for me. He's going to grow into his head. He's, it's going to happen. I think it was this big when I was born, my poor mother. But I had a brother, Joe, who's, who's we're almost Irish twins. He's one year, 17 days younger than me. And I have a brother, Paul, who's about a year and a half younger than him. I have a sister, Joanne, who's a year and a half younger than her. And all growing up as the oldest brother, I had the most awesome blessing of being the tallest brother. And I was kind of, for a period of time, the most athletic, and I lifted weights, and I was really strong. So I kind of became, as a lot of old ki older kids in their family do, I was the family bully, right? My brother would cross me. My brother Paul one time, him and I, him and I used to fight all the time. I was real close to Joe, me and my brother Paul. We were more alike, and we would just, we would just fight all the time. He would be, ah, I'm telling Dad, and I hate you. I went, what? You're not allowed to hate me. You're not allowed to punch me. And his nose was bleeding, and my dad came home and healed me later. But um, <laughs> I used to love the marks on the wall. Anybody do that in their house, the marks on the wall for the kids? We got, we, we, one of us, somebody, one of our kids made a big seven-foot one. Like any of my grandkids will be seven-foot. My girls are all peanuts. And we mark everybody. And me and Nick, my son-in-law, kind of had this thing. Neither of us have done it yet because neither of us will admit that the other one's taller than the other. I want to be taller than him. I was taller than my brother Joe until he was 24 years old. Like, graduated high school, I was four or five inches taller. Then it started getting shorter and shorter. And we started getting closer and closer and closer. And then he got taller than me. I was like, dang, I can't believe you're taller than me now. He'd say, yeah, it's okay. You can be the little brother now. And he patted me on the top of the head. <laughs> You know, with, with all the insecurities that come with that, right? But it's amazing how God knew my makeup, knows your makeup, and has the exact answer that we need here no matter what we think about ourselves. He demonstrated his love for us even though we were sinners. Christ died for us. So Jesus' beautiful scars represent for you and me our healing. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, it was a prophetic verse that came true in the previous chapters from John 20, 18 and 19. It says, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment uh, that brought us peace was on him. And then it says this, by his wounds... We are healed. 
What he did on the cross when he allowed himself, they didn't take his life from him. And you could, historically, you could say, yeah, those, those, those priests, they were responsible for his death. They carry responsibility for that, of course. But the Bible tells us very clearly that nobody took his life from him. He laid it down for us. And he did that because he knew you and I were born with this condition called sin. Uh, I was born big head, tall guy, big heavy kid, right? You were born the way that you look, the way that you are with all the DNA that you have in your body that, that marks your parents and stuff like that. But you were also born with this condition called sin, we don't have to teach our kids how to sin. That's a very natural thing because they were born with a natural inclination to do wrong. It's just, it's true about all of us. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' beautiful scars represent our healing. His scars in John chapter 20 proved who he was. The disciples saw his scars and believed. Jesus came, what did he do? Hey guys, it's me. Pulled up his shirt, showed him. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see his scars. Put my fingers in the holes. Thrust my arm into his side. What did Jesus do? Peace, Thomas. It's me. You see, Jesus' scars proved who he was. But Jesus' scars also proved that he was alive. That he was alive. And lastly, his scars proved that Jesus kept his word I love another gospel account. It says this about the res resurrection of Jesus Christ. A very simple four-word phrase. It says, he's not here. He has risen. Then it says this, just as he said. He kept his promise. He told his disciples over and over and over and over and over again. The temple's going to get torn down three days again. It's going to rise up again. The Pharisees are like, oh, he's going to tear down the temple. That's blasphemy. Disciples said, what are you talking about with the temple, tearing it down and the stones and this, this, and this? He said, they're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm going to rise again from the grave. What does that mean, though? I mean, does that really, I mean, what is that? I don't understand that. I don't really get that. How's he going to die and be alive? They, didn't under, they, didn't, they just didn't get it. We wouldn't get it either. That's incomprehensible that a person would let themselves let themself die and then raise themselves up from the grave. And how was he able to do that? Because he was God. He was God's son. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he lay. So I'm gonna, can I tell you something I believe that God wants to do in all of your lives this morning, just like he wants to do in my life and people throughout the world? He came to heal our broken hearts. He came, whatever, when I was talking about having a broken heart earlier, whatever it is in your life that's given you a broken heart, Jesus came to heal that broken heart. He came to heal it. He came to help us conquer our fear. It's not wrong to be afraid. We're human beings. Some of the things that we're afraid of make each other laugh. You know? Uh, my girls are deathly afraid of spiders. Hate spiders. I've been a mean dad a couple times with the spider situations. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Here, come check it out. Ah! You know, that kind of a thing. But you know what's funny about me? This big giant guy, I'm about 6'5", weigh about 275, 280-ish, somewhere in there. You know what I'm deathly afraid of? I hate rats. My gosh, I'm not afraid of rats because the bite may hurt. I'm afraid of rats because they are the most dirty, vile, disgusting, gross. Every disease in the world exists in a rat's mouth, and I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid if a, if a rat, like once in a while we'll see a rat come through our backyard. 
I'm ready to call the, the exterminator, all my Texas buddies with shotguns. I mean, I'm ready to call the cavalry because I hate rats. And it seems that every time I see a rat, my girls are with me. Pumpkins, you know, around, you know, we do the pumpkins thing. Because when everybody, oh, we're harvesty, you could come to our house for trick-or-treats. We get pumpkins in front of our house. We're from Philadelphia. Pumpkins last for six months because it's cold. In Dallas, you can't put pumpkins outside of your house for three or four months because they get all goopy and, and slimy. And guess what rats love? Slimy, stinky pumpkins. So on November the 1st, I was cleaning up our pumpkins. I picked one up. The bottom fell out, and a mangy rat ran across my bare toes. I'm, that, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I ran in, hot water on my feet. I wanted to get every shot you could get made known to mankind. I even started drinking a little bit that day. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. But it was, man, it, I, mean, I just was like, oh, 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 oh. I was super scared of it. I think Jesus came to help me with my fear of rats. I don't know. But I know he came to help me conquer my, my internal fears. Am I a failure? Can you still love me? Do, am I, can I really do something special for you? Here's the great thing about our Lord. He will remove all of your doubt if you trust him. And the thing about trusting God, you know why it's hard for us to trust God? Not because of what God hasn't done, but because of what other people haven't done for us. It's really hard to put your trust when you've had your trust broken. You guard your trust, don't you? If someone's lied to you, if someone's not told you the truth, if someone's betrayed you, it's hard for you to give that trust again. I believe the Bible is very clear about forgiveness. Somebody does wrong, you forgive them. Does wrong again, forgive them. Lord, how many times do I forgive them? Up to 70 times seven. You just keep forgiving. But I think forgiveness and trust are not linked together. It takes a long time to get trust back. It's a big, big deal. He wants to heal your broken heart today. He will help you this morning conquer your fear. And if you let him, he'll remove all of your doubt. So I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment.